It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Eleven o'clock on your Monday morning. Welcome in. It is the GameCount Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Head, West Mitchell, Chris Clark, along with you here on the game. Late night last night, guys. Uh, Chris said he had to stay up well past his bedtime to see the end of the seventh longest game in NFL history. Certainly the longest Super Bowl is we literally almost got five full quarters, save for the final three seconds there at the end of the end of that. What would have been the first quarter of overtime that went past that? Yeah. What'd y'all think? You know, you know, one of my first takeaways was the special teams were very enjoyable. Yeah. You know, I, I think we've been we've all been conditioned here now over you, the past few years. Uh, Pete and Jody were smiling. Oh, they're home. Was, well, it depends on which perspective they had at the time because, um, yeah, I mean, fifty-five yard kick broke the Super Bowl record. Then that was rebroken, and the, y'all the kit the punt coverage. We saw a clothesline. We saw. Yeah. I mean, we the punt coverage was incredible. Then you had the fumble. Yes. Right? I mean, yep. there were some big special teams plays. I was very uh, surprised that prior to last night's game, only seven kicks of 50 yards or more had ever yeah. been made in Super Bowl history. That didn't seem real. You know what I mean? Like, you figured there would have been more than that at that point in time. But three of them last night, can you know, hats off to Jake Moody and Harrison Buckner. And obviously, it ended up working out, working out better for Harrison Buckner. But, yeah, special teams played a pivotal role last night. Obviously, that muff punt ended up setting up the touchdown that gave Kansas City their first lead of the game with Mar- our Marquez Valdez-Scantling and then that um, that blocked extra point obviously kept it a three-point mm-hmm. game that um, eventually pretty much led to overtime. Yeah, blocked extra point ended up being massive. And I, I did I saw some articles that I felt like they just sort of um, surface level called it a Ray-Ray McLeod muffed punt. <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> not uh I mean he he did all he could on that and um actually had the wherewithal to realize hey this this hit my opponent I got to go try to make or hit my teammate got to go try to make a play on this and yeah the, the game I, I saw it described as a slow burn and a slow build up and I, I thought that was the perfect explanation cuz I mean I I still appreciate good defensive football but it I mean it, it was a little bit boring at first, and then uh, especially, you know, we, we had a couple people over, and it was like, you know, casual football fans are just like, is anything going to happen? Like, what what is what's going on here? But I, I felt like it had a good, knowing how it ended up ending, it had a good little pace in that both sides were kind of filling each other out. Then I think both sides got increasingly aggressive with what they were trying to do because they knew that was what was required to, to go win the game. And then ultimately, we, we got a great football game. I, I'll admit, I knew, even knowing there were new rules and even them explaining the new rules, I didn't realize that the clock didn't matter at all. I, I thought we were going to reset at the end of 15 it, minutes. I had some people point that out to me a little bit earlier on when I was talking about the fact that Andy Reid didn't call it timeout. 
at the end of that first overtime. And it's like, okay, well, they still would have let the Chiefs finish that drive even if it went into a second overtime period, which, again, we're new new into these rules, so it's it's okay to not fully understand them. But we're so preconditioned to think, okay, well, when the clock runs out in overtime, the game's over or it goes to a tie or whatever it may be. So, yeah, the clock wasn't necessarily a factor at that point in time because I was like, you know, why aren't they calling a timeout? They just wasted 25, 30 seconds there. But I guess it didn't really, really matter at the end of the day. Yeah, and Romo did a good job of, of finally pointing that out because I, I was sitting there like w- when they first didn't call a timeout, I was like, oh, they're running this thing down um, in case they have to kick a field goal mm-hmm. that, um, you know, the Niners don't have a chance to answer and then it will reset. I, I thought we literally, I thought we still had an OT1 yep. and then it would go into a second overtime, which would which would reset the entire thing, but... Um, essentially it is this is the first quarter of overtime and it would which, just turn around and y- you play again which I like or you keep it, playing I should say and this is only for the playoffs where hey if team number one scores a touchdown on the first possession you still give the ball to the other team regardless and it kind of goes back to how college football does their overtime where you legitimately have to ask yourself do we want the ball do we want to go on defense we're okay we're going to go down the field and score but the other team's still going to have our opportunity would you rather be that second team knowing either having to match or beat whatever the first team does and i know for whatever you know reasons of not wanting games to be too long the nfl probably won't implement that into the regular season but i think it adds an interesting dynamic to overtime where you do actually have to think like hey do we want the ball or do we want to give the ball to the other team and play defense first well it it actually ended up becoming a factor you know even with that possibility it, it maybe wouldn't have been a factor, but in this case, it, it did end up being a factor, which is kind of fascinating and which has led to people questioning the 49ers' decision-making in taking the ball first. And, you know, if, if you, in theory, if you take the ball second, you now, now you're kind of, you're really having to get two, three, four steps ahead. In, in college football, you take over so close to your opponent's goal line anyway, you're already in field goal range mm-hmm. in, in college football. So I think that factors into it. Obviously, you go second in college football. I think there, and I would love, I don't know what the analytics say. I'm sure they have an answer, but the the Niners, like I kind of get, I kind of get taking the ball first because you're saying, look, we're going to take control. And then if you're the Niners and you go score a touchdown, you put so much pressure on the Chiefs where one, a tip, a tip ball that goes up in the air mm-hmm. and gets intercepted, game over. So I, I kind of get it. But once it, it all came into play, once you only got the field goal, because now the Chiefs know exactly what they needed. If it was reversed and you're the Niners and you somehow knew the Chiefs were going to score a touchdown, you know, oh, we field goal is not an option for us right now. So it, it was fascinating. I, I did – did y'all read the comments – a little bit different from the Niners players talking about the overtime rules and the Chiefs players talking about the overtime rules. Did y'all, did y'all read those? Uh, I, didn't. I didn't see those. Yeah. It, so Chiefs players, when asked about the rules, are saying, yeah, we were talking about the playoff overtime rules being different in preseason camp. And they said every single game – Leading up to the playoffs, they were being reminded, hey, if there's an overtime, this is how it's all going to work. Niners players admitted a couple of them. I didn't really know exactly what the overtime rules were. Mm. 
which is that's tough. Yeah. Um, now, it, to a certain extent, if you're a player, you're just going to go – you just go execute. You go, you know, whatever the play call is, you, you go execute it. However, down and distance and situational football sure. are a huge factor in every single decision you make on a football field. So that, to me, was a little bit concerning. Well, and real quick, I think – and that's not the reason why Kansas City won the game and San Francisco lost, but that is the small little differences between a team and an organization that's won three out of the last five Super Bowls and one that's lost two Super Bowls in the past five years. Some fascinating statistics here to go along with what you're saying. So this is from Fox Sports. I was curious about this. You know, how, how did that rule change maybe affect, you know, we'll, we'll have to, we don't have enough data yet, sure. right? But just in the past, Prior to the rule change, according to Fox Sports, there were 12 overtime playoff games since 2010. So that would be, what, you know, almost 15 years, whatever. Mm -hmm. The teams that won the coin toss in those past games were 10-2. and two. And seven times the team that won the coin toss won the game on the first possession by scoring a touchdown without the other team possessing the ball at all. Yep. And then in those 12 games, no team that won the coin toss for overtime elected to kick. Right? So that kind of shows you sure. the change in strategy like Wes was talking about. But, I mean, seriously, the entire game last night, I was going through thinking, all right, this thing's close. That means Patrick Mahomes is winning the game on the final drive. Well, what I, do, I couldn't shake that feeling. What do we talk about? You know, from a standpoint of not really having a dog in the fight, you want to see, hey, Patrick yeah. Mahomes down three points with two minutes to go. Can he lead his team down the field to tie the game, which is exactly what they did. And then he gets the scenario he did in it overtime. twice, basically. Yeah, yeah he did it in overtime. <laughs> only that was, you know, hey, go down the field, score touchdown to win the game. So we got to see, you know, the best player on what's been the best team over the past handful of years be put in an adverse situation and go out there and perform, and that's exactly what they did. And we didn't get, since since San, San Fran was, you know, limited to that field goal in overtime, this didn't play out, but how, how bad would it have been if San Fran scored a touchdown? Like, if, if we were on the old rules, they scored a touchdown, and Patrick, and the last shot of Patrick Mahomes is him sitting on the bench not getting an opportunity. Nobody wants that. Yeah. We wanted exactly what we got, which was whether the Niners had scored a touchdown or a field goal like they did, he has the ball in his hands with a chance to go tie it or win it, and that's what we got. I'd be in favor of doing that for all games, yeah. quite frankly. I don't see why not. Yeah, and I, I think it's – I think for, for playoffs, it it definitely makes sense to do it. I, I think the NFL is just saying, look, you play – now. you now play 17 games. A lot of games. If you can't decide it in that amount of time, it's – who who really cares who wins that one game out of hundreds of games if you add them all up? Whereas you have you have to get a little. Th these are, in theory, the best of the best. Right. Although at times, honestly, in this game, I was sitting there thinking to be the two best teams, it's not really a clean football game that I'm watching. The first half was mistake filled for sure, yes, sloppy, and so. But you see what I'm saying? Like I. I I don't necessarily think there has to be some huge push to go to this for every single regular season game because at some point you're just like, all right, it's time to move on to the next. Nobody really took this thing and ran with it. But once you get down to where you're talking about these games coming down to a couple of plays and it deciding who's going to live in history and who's going to be an afterthought, then, I mean, the whole reason they changed the rule was because – of Mahomes yeah. and the Bills, mm -hmm. and the Bills just having to sit over there and and watch as Mahomes methodically um, 
sent them packing. Well, and in college football, we saw what what was the game? The seven overtime was A and M and LSU. Yep. I think seven overtimes. And pe- that's not going to happen often, right? But people looked at that and said, "Oh, I don't know about that." Like it was entertaining that time, but we don't want this over and over for a bunch of reasons. And so, you know, we saw some changes to the college football. So, definitely in the playoffs, I agree with you. Us, we, we've got we've got to keep this this structure. It's much better. Yeah, it was fun. It's cool now that I actually know the rule about the clock yeah. too. Yeah. Kansas, Kansas City, the new dynasty. We're ready to put that stamp on them yet? Oh yeah, I don't yeah. even think there's a question. No, no question about it. They they weren't even that good this year, and they found a way to win the thing. <laughs> no, um, they got better as it went on. They did. They they played their best football in the playoffs, which you know that's again a mark of a great organization that you know, find your way in and you play your best play. You play your best football in the months of January and February, and you can still walk away with the Lombardi Trophy. On the other side of things, Kyle Shanahan for the third time now, second time as a head coach. As a lead in the Super Bowl, and look, I don't, I don't consider losing a uh, having ten point lead and losing blowing it because I mean ten points that's nothing crazy. Like yes, twenty eight to three, that was a sizable lead that ended up crumbling on them. But once again, just kind of running in this scenario of not being able to close the deal in the late stages of a game, um, you know, in the Super Bowl, but once as a coordinator and now twice as a head coach. Yeah, t- I mean, and ten nothing with what? It was mm, three the- four minutes before halftime. When Kansas City finally got the ball back, yeah, I, I, I don't really think you're you're blowing a lead at that point. I mean, they had they had a ten point lead for all of a few minutes, right? Yep. Um, so they they I thought the Niners played a pretty good first half, but you you kind of knew, and I'm sitting there going, Kansas City's about to middle them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what that means basically you have the ball at the end of the half and then the beginning of the half. The double up. And yeah, so um you call that the middle eight, the final four, and then the first four. Now the Niners ended up getting a stop to start the second half with an interception. And so that they kind of did their part just holding them to three points in, in that case. But then you had I mean the third the third quarter was was kind of slow and then it really started to pick up end of third quarter, going into the fourth, and, of course, overtime. I mean, both offenses down the stretch did execute pretty well, I thought. Both of them had to convert fourth downs. Even The Niners went for it on a fourth down instead of kicking a field goal. It ended up paying off. And so I, I thought both offenses executed pretty well down the stretch. A little bit more on the Super Bowl as the hour rolls along. But coming up, we'll dive into some basketballs. There were some good games in action for the Gamecocks over the weekend as well. That's coming up to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Cooper now comes and gets it on the left wing. Working against Paul Lewis. Backs him down on the baseline. Gives it to Murray Royals. And there is the exclamation point. Another dunk for Colin Murray Boyles on a great feed from Kellogg Cooper. Murray Boyles will break the 30-point barrier for the first time. For the freshman. My goodness, what a day. Welcome back in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Head, West Mitchell, Chris Clark along with you on this Monday. That was calling the Gamecocks Radio Network as Colin Murray Boyles throws down a dunk to get to 31 points for his best performance of the season. 31 points, seven rebounds, two assists, and another block that we're going to be talking about for a while. And every time we assess a game, 
and look at Colin Murray Boyle's performance, we say, wow, this has been his best game yet. And then he goes out the next game and tops that. Now, 31 points, that's going to be hard to top next time out against Auburn. But, man, this kid keeps coming along and coming along and um, you know, just continues to show all the hype that was around him going into the season. Obviously didn't have him because of the mono thing for a while. But, man, he seems to be at full strength now. He's just balling out night in, night out. Yeah, I'm not going to put it past him. I mean, he may go for 40 next time. Like, <laughs> this dude is showing us why we were hearing little whispers this past summer of people kind of doing the eyeball emoji like, hey, this kid has come in and been very impressive in practice. I remember, I think it was Michi, one of our Garnet Trust interviews, just raving about the kid back then. And, and then we just didn't get to see that at all to start. One, he was actually just out because of the motto. And then he was still trying to work his way back. And we are starting to see you know, a combination of that and just the natural improvements of a freshman who is finding their footing, I think. But talk about a guy who just does not let the moment bother him. He, uh, I've said it several times, he acts like he's just playing basketball with his boys, like, in the backyard. And it, it is it's so impressive. I keep going back to his hands, though, y'all. Like, this guy has some of the best hands, best hand-eye coordination I, I think that is why he is such a good rebounder, even though he's a little bit undersized. He doesn't have to get both hands up there. Like, a lot of times, he'll, he'll snatch. If you, like, look at it frame by frame, he snatches the ball with one hand and then brings that second hand to the basketball. And it's just because the, the ball sticks to him. And so, um, the footwork, the mentality, the touch – the, I mean, he's obviously worked very hard as far as just being a skilled big man down low, too, not just a guy using only his size. And we we just saw it all come together this past, uh, this past game. But like you said, man, I mean, Ole Miss game was the best game of his career at that point. This was clearly the best game of his career to this point. And we'll get into it in a second. But his contributions have raised – the ceiling of what this team could be moving forward. I mean, Jerry Stackhouse, Vanderbilt's head coach, who was a pretty good basketball player himself back in the day, he, he called Murray Boyles a man amongst boys. I mean, he basically credited him as being the difference in the game. He said that was the game because he got offensive boards. He had one rebound that he just – I mean, more than one, but there's one in particular I can think of, just man rebound, just completely dominated – Vanderbilt went up and got it put it back and he just makes so many plays like that um, but Stackhouse called him dominant man among boys and really if you kind of think back to how that game went you can go yeah I mean he was um, offensive defensive glass scoring the scary thing about him is not even close to a finished product like if mm -hmm. this guy this guy was like a senior you'd be like man this guy's really good he's a freshman and you know missed a good part of the season kind of came back around the time of the Clemson game. He's still getting his – and he's just getting better and better. And they mentioned on the broadcast – I can't remember if it was this game or maybe the last game – you know, this guy can shoot from outside. I mean, what is it going to look like when that part of his game gets unlocked? And that's something that Paris talked about on, I think, Carolina Calls last week uh, that said, yeah, you know, in the preseason – before he got sick and everything, he was nailing things from deep pretty consistently, and that's an area that, you know, they've yet to unleash him yet. So maybe that's something. I don't know if you're saving that for later on down the line. It's kind of your secret weapon to, you know, release him and, and see what he can do from that point in time. But that's a whole area of his game that we have yet to see where he could only get even that much better going forward. 
Yeah, if he adds a jumper to the mix here as well. And and, and right now, mo- most of the guys that try to guard him and when, when he gets in those one-on-one situations, they, they, they really struggle to, to keep up with him. And it's almost hard to explain why, but um, he's just so skilled and he, he does not athletically operate like a guy his size. Like he's completely under control and the basketball when he possesses it is completely under his control as well. And, and to add to it, he's a great passer too, has good vision, you know, of the court and just top to bottom. I mean, this guy does it all. And I, I think what I was getting to earlier, you, you look at what this team was when the season started and you start to see the pieces coming together. And you said, man, this is this is a pretty good basketball team. But with him playing the way he has, like, to me, it completely changes the picture of what the expectation should be for this team. Like, I, I don't think this is just some Cinderella storybook run right now where you're like, oh, man, they've won a couple of games they quote-unquote shouldn't. You look at what they have top to bottom. You look at the added depth. You look. He, he essentially took the place of Stephen Clark in the lineup and yep. has provided much more upside to that position for South Carolina. When, when South Carolina needed a bucket late in the Ole Miss game and they were up by three, they, they didn't end up having a great possession, ended up launching a three, I think. Before the season started, I would have been saying, Michi has to touch, Michi has to be the guy on this possession. Mm-hmm. Um, as the season progressed, I could have said Michi, BJ down low, we've seen them go to that in game sort of deciding situations. Talon Cooper has made big shots. I was sitting there going, give the ball to the freshman because they can't guard him. And so are, are we at a – I mean, is he their best player? He he literally may all of a sudden be their best basketball player. But I do think the answer to that question and the reason this is a pretty good team, better than a pretty good team, is the answer to that question can change on a game-to-game basis. Very much so. Uh, Thomas wants to weigh on the firehouse – or excuse me, the left Chevrolet phone lines – Real quick about Colin Murray Boyles. Uh, Thomas, thanks for the call. What's on your mind? Yeah. You know, when I watched that game, two things stick out to me. This gentleman, he has hands like a wide receiver in football. Mm-hmm. The ball just sticks to his hand when he go up for a rebound. And two, he has the power of a big power forward. He reminds me of a young Charles Barkley. Agility and power for a guy that size—he's just unstoppable. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, appreciate the call. Thank you, Thomas. That—that's—that's that's lofty. That's a lofty, uh, lofty comparison there. But again, very, very young in his uh, in his college career, and and hopefully going to be around for the next couple of years. And who knows what kind of success he could lead, to, uh, you know, South Carolina too. And and again with. with um, you know, the aspirations of being in the NCAA tournament a month from now and, you know, the ability of him getting better and better and better. You just never know what this team's going to be capable of. Did, did y'all see the dunk that he – where he kind of fumbled the basketball, but then he stuck with it? Like, the sticks with it. The, the quickness in which he rises off the floor um, and gets up there, incredibly impressive. But, but you know what else? Watch – don't watch the basketball. Like, there were times, especially in the second half when South Carolina had a lead, I was just watching Murray Boyles the entire possession. And he's out there directing traffic. He's out there constantly talking. 
And I don't mean talking to his opponent. I mean constantly in communication with Talon Cooper, Michi Johnson, making sure everybody is on the same page, giving information. Receive, he receives coaching from his teammates very well, his older teammates from what I can tell just based on body language. And even there was a late layup by Chris's boy, Miles Studi, that was completely wide open because Colin Murray Boyles had boxed out his man to completely open up the lane. So as crazy as it is to say, as impressive as 31 points were, he's doing even more. He's making even bigger impact than that away from the basketball. Absolutely. It was also a big weekend for the women's team picking up a big victory yesterday against UConn. We'll dive into that coming up. A quick reminder, Carolina calls tomorrow night. Don Staley will be on with that. We'll dive into what the women did yesterday against UConn next here on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. I should say, and Gamecocks can dribble out the clock. They'll knock off the Connecticut Huskies for the fourth consecutive time, fifth time in the last six meetings. South Carolina throttles UConn 83-65 to at a sold-out Colonial Life Arena. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Head, West Mitchell, Chris Clark along with you. Yesterday, Brad Muller on the call at Colonial Life Arena before the Super Bowl. The women taking down number 11 UConn. 85 or excuse me 83 to 65 out at colonial life arena and the big question coming in this game was obviously how was south carolina going to be able to fare without camilla cardoso for the second straight game didn't have any problem against missouri the other night as we didn't expect them to but this is a different team and uconn did come in with a lot of injuries and a lot of key players missing but south carolina goes out there doesn't really skip a beat and uh, picks up a pretty decisive 18 point win over number 11. it was a party at cla um man Pow Pow was obviously, like, part of the story. She had a big night or a big day and just was fantastic. But, I mean, w- once again, just this was the example of a complete team effort, I, I thought, Chris. And, what I mean, at, at this point, they're almost – you're just out of sentences to even say about this group because who who else can just lose their I, – I hesitate to say best player. One of their best players because this this team is just so good leading scorer in Cardoso and and just not really miss a beat at, at all. And so it's so impressive. Again, top to bottom, just everybody contributing. And you had you had Plies in the building who was just uh fantastic. Now did he have a crock pot? He legit had a target crock pot. Okay. Just anything in there, you think? I mean, I know he couldn't plug it up. There's no extension cord, but I'm amazed he got to sneak it into the arena. To be honest with you, but oh, my kid, you know, not to go on a tangent, my kids couldn't bring in a sign one time. He got a crockpot in, but he's also a little bit more. He uh, got about 10 million followers on Instagram. They're like, sir, you can't. Oh, oh, yeah, you're good. But dude, back to the game. It's like it's crazy. Chris Wellbaum had an article. They put out today just, hey, South Carolina is the standard at this point. Yeah. And there, there is no sort of greater um, example of that. The standard used to be UConn. And, and you know, traditionally, you still, their, their numbers in the last, you know, 30 years, yeah. you still tip your cap to that. But as far as right now in today's women's basketball, what South Carolina is doing is the standard. And, they, I mean, they, they honestly could have named their score. Like, the, the final score – was not 
indicative of even how much of a beatdown this was. And South Carolina was up by, I think, 25 at, at one point in the yep. fourth quarter. And, you know, you kind, kind of chipped away Not a little bit back. there at the end. Yeah. But it was – so impressive. It it struck me, and and I know like this UConn team, and they're still really good, right? <laughs> that's that's the thing. You, they're not as good as some of those dominant UConn teams, and they're missing what five people? They got five girls out for the year. So this, you know, the full strength version of UConn probably gives South Carolina a better better game. I still pick South Carolina to win, even given that. But it did strike me during the game of man, this is almost bizarre. That a, a a UConn team, coached by Gino Ariema, is playing in Columbia and looks helpless, but they have no answers. That was that's wild to think about, and that just because that would have never happened, you know, ten years ago, even five years ago, probably, and um, just wild to think about. But yeah, you're missing, yeah, UConn missing some players, South Carolina missing Cardoso, and I feel like every single game we we go through this process with this South Carolina women's team, it's well, so-and-so didn't have a great game, but they won by whatever. Double mm-hmm. digits, always, almost. Um, I thought in the game, Ashlyn Watkins was huge. She made some outside shots. Chloe Kitts made some outside shots. Pow Pow shooting. Uh, they did a really good job defensively for the most part on UConn. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that was, that's kind of the phrasing that I took away is UConn just didn't have any answers for South Carolina. Well, I think this this game was the last two games really are a glimpse into the future because you know everybody expects Cardoso to leave and be drafted and kind of take that next step for her career and we've seen South Carolina replace the the freshies in what was the the best class in program history. They all sort of moved on for the most part in in one off season. South Carolina just keeps it rolling and now you're getting a glimpse of what this group may look like next year after Cardoso leaves and I mean Ashlyn Watkins I saw her play once in high school and you could see the the nat- the athleticism mm-hmm. off the charts right but the development of of Watkins the development of Chloe Kitts from last year when she enrolled early and everybody knows that story but just um how she's come along I mean if you're in this program and you put your head down and go to work First of all, you don't have a choice. You, you either you either do what's asked of you or you just leave. You don't have a choice. And But the development of everybody, I feel like, if you're here, if you're in this program, you get better. This is not just, oh, yeah, we recruit as well as anybody if we're Don Staley and, and staff. You develop as good as anybody out there, too. And uh, top to bottom, I mean, you put it perfectly, man. UConn just they, – they were completely – helpless uh, as far as any ability to but like where where do you go like where where if pow pow was shooting the way she was yeah like the the only way you have a chance against south carolina is if they are having an off night shooting from the outside and then you somehow find a way to to out rebound them down low and sort of just Turn, turn them a little bit into what they were last year, which was much more of an inside-focused team. And that's what Gino Oriema pointed out. You know, first of all, during the game, I think they interviewed him after the first quarter, and Watkins had hit some outside shots, and he said, well, there's only so much you can do. You know, mm-hmm. going back to that helpless, crazy to think about, right? 
And so they wanted to push Watkins out. He he felt like in his post game, he said, hey, we played him better in the second half. I think it was a little bit, not purposely disingenuous, but he pointed out the second half deficit. That could have been a lot worse, like you said earlier. South Carolina pulled back. So I don't really buy that as much. UConn did play better in the second half and maybe figured some things out. Um, but he pointed to, you know, this team is so much different than other South Carolina teams that we have played against, win or loss, and he pointed out the outside shooting, right? The ability of Pow Pow to step out, Raven Johnson developing that shot, Bree Hall, they can hurt you inside and out, and then, of course, they're going to continue throwing the depth at you in waves, which just really makes it hard for others. Uh, and I also, I got to think, Watkins sort of extending out a little bit and showing that she can hit that um, little kind of shorter jumper. And we've seen Kitts hit the mid-range jumper pretty much all season long. I got to think that was in the game plan early on just to show UConn um, that, that that's there and force them to kind of make some decisions on, hey, how wh- where are we putting Leah Edwards? How are we going to defend this? And then what do you got Pow Pow doing what she's doing too all at the same time? It's, I mean, I, I, I don't know where you go if you're them. You got you to gotta hope one of those things. If you're an opponent, you got to hope one or two of these factors is just kind of off for that particular night. And in this case, Carolina was up to the challenge. They were, I mean, atmosphere, watching on TV, insane. South Carolina fed off of it as opposed to kind of getting a, a little too up for the game, which I think says as much about this group and how Don Staley just schedules and says, hey, we'll play anybody anywhere. Um, I don't even know what else you say. It's just impressive top to bottom. Another box check by taking down UConn on Sunday. Only a couple more games left in SEC play. None of them against ranked opponents. They do have two matchups against the third team in the SEC, that being Tennessee starting on Thursday night out there in Knoxville. By the way, coming up on Wednesday night, you have the men's team in action as they take on Auburn at 8.30. Pre-game coverage starting at 8 o'clock right here on the game. Come back and wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Well, I think everybody loved it except for um, Swiss Beats, <laughs> who is Alicia Keys' husband. Yeah, they... Uh... A little flirty on stage there, for Tyler, sure. Tyler, did you know? I assume you knew who Swiss Beats. I know is. of him. I can't say I've I'm heard a, the name. I can't I say I'm really, a fan. I couldn't pick him out if he was sitting in a room with us. I'd be like, that might be Wes. It might be Swiss Beats. Well, hopefully, Usher know. knows what he looks like and needs to keep. He's on going to. <laughs> Surprised he wasn't waiting in the in the back for him. But no, I thought the I thought it was very. It, I mean, it's got to be hard to. To go do that show, do the halftime, knowing like half the country's gonna love it, half the country's gonna hate it. Mm-hmm. So, how many of the people who were kind of in the middle there can you sway on over? And he had enough. Like, if you're a certain age, you've heard all those songs, and you you knew all the people he had on stage. So, I, I thought, I mean, what your wife said, nine out of ten. She said nine out of ten. I think that's yeah. about where I'm at. See, that's the the halftime show they should have had in Atlanta instead of Maroon Five. I mean, that it was, was in Atlanta. That was, it was a tribute Atlanta. to Atlanta. It really was, and we had Maroon Five a couple years ago. Lame. There were a couple of the classics that were too short, but, but you know you had to fit a lot in or left out altogether. That was my only gripe. 
What did uh, you want to hear that was left out? Well, he didn't do uh, You Make Me Wanna, did he? No. I don't think so. That was one. That was the main one. Um, but, man, I, the, the, the skating was cool, I got to say. What if you had and busted it? Stunts. Like I feel like that was a was that was a risk. It. Well, that's kind of one of those things when you're watching the halftime show. You're almost kind of like wanting to see if somebody's gonna mess up. <laughs> and when they were skating, I was like, oh, somebody's gotta like somebody's gonna mess this part yeah. up. But as far as I saw, they did it flawlessly. Oh, that's just mean, man. Well, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but like you know, uh, there's a lot of moving pieces to a Super Bowl halftime show. You're like somebody's gotta be at somebody's gonna screw one step up. out of place, right? But no, everything looked pretty flawless last night. Yeah, I thought it was good. What uh, what was your number, Chris? You know, I don't know if I can't. I, I'm good with a nine. I'm good with a nine. Eight I, and a half. I, I, yeah, I, eight and a half feels and a, half. a little. I did. I did see a good meme because he was sweating profusely pretty early uh-huh. on in that performance, and somebody said, "Me at Williams Bryce in <laughs> August watching a non-con noon kickoff," and I was like, <laughs> "Very yeah, accurate." Chef's accurate. kiss there. <laughs> uh, favorite commercial? Anything stick out to y'all? Oh uh, man. I like the Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. one. Neighbor. Uh, neighbor. My favorite one was <laughs> my favorite one was the Michael Sierra one. That the, was good. I like that. That one was really funny. Uh the Duncan one was pretty good. They had a lot of a lot of star power in that one. They just went with the let's put star power and then let's just make it as insane as possible so it's memorable. It's a good formula. Um what do y'all think of the Paramount Plus one? With uh, Patrick Stewart, yeah. Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. Peppa Pig, Pe- yeah, they well, they showed the shortened one first, uh-huh. and we were kind of like, eh, they wasted all that, right? All those people, and then they later on showed the full, the full one, and it was like, oh, that's actually pretty good, but I wish I'd seen the full one first. Yeah, yeah. I liked uh, there. There was an Uber Eats one that was good. It had a uh, had the friends had Ross, yeah, yeah, on yeah. There. and where uh, Rachel doesn't remember him. Yeah, Jelly Roll was on it. Yeah, he didn't know why his tattoos were there, and a bunch of other things like that. Yeah, there's some good ones. Uh, did you see that Beyonce like dropped an album right after is her it commercial? Out? It is out apparently. Where, okay, um, oh, well, country, it's look. a it's a country album. My wife was what? all over that. I, I missed that. Yeah, so Beyonce's doing country. She showed up wearing like a cowboy hat and like a jean jacket i guess that was a giveaway i had no clue she was now it's just one album I, I, i'm the wrong person to ask questions about this i'm just going off what i was Tyler, that's what you're here for man you're supposed to know everything and keep me and chris on has, she hey, list, has your wife listened to the whole album she's listened to at least what was available last night they're right while while watching the game she's listening to this <laughs> beyonce album I'm like maybe maybe not right now among the things I thought you'd say today, Beyonce and a country album were not but one of them. The little part I heard, it sounded fine. So, you know, what can't you do, I guess. Um, but, yeah. Su- successful Super Bowl, uh, everybody? I think, I think so. Um, a little, little sloppy up. in the beginning, Good. but, I mean, overtime, that's always exciting. Almost got double overtime. Yeah. So, can't complain. Just was a very late night. Um, but yeah, uh, now we got to wait 200 some odd days for football to return. So it's going to be a long off season. That'll do it for today's edition of the Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.